as I was reflecting this week, I, I realized that I sort of felt sad that we didn't have time. And of course we can't, we can't cover everything. And also we three are not the arbiter, the arbiters of what the post-church church is or will be. This thing is in process and it's evolving and it's moving forward and everyone's lending their energy. And, you know, I'm just a small part of that, but I'm an, a, I'm an important and significant part. So I'm not either downplaying us or myself we're overplaying, I hope. But one thing that I felt sad that we didn't get to discuss was this concept of, I guess what I'm, I've learned to call right relationship. So how do we as the post-church church bring ourselves by our awareness, by our consciousness into right relationship? And that I, I'm applying that concept to human beings to human beings we know, human beings who are far from us that we don't know, but also to what Robin Wall calls uh, the more than human world, the land, the animals, the, eco- the ecosystems, waters. And so in the post-church church, what is, what is our concept of right relationship and how do we go about embodying that and living that out in the world? And I, I'm thinking of concepts like you know, of course we have so many dualities thinking about like domination versus stewardship. I'm thinking about trust versus control. I'm thinking about, you know, one, one thing we're always talking about, about around here is this concept of oneness with God and with all beings, with all that is, uh, Naomi said, the one source of all that is of which we are apart and in partnership with. And, you know, I think, I think we tend to not want to talk about this in our modern day culture, right? We don't, we don't necessarily want to talk about how we might be in right relationship with animals or how we might be in right relationship with land because then it gets us in our soft parts, you know, it gets us in our comfort levels and our habits and our family traditions and like where we spend our money. And so I think that's, that was kind of where I was starting out with the conversation of what might, what maybe we had missed. So I'm curious you guys thoughts and you all at home. Concept of right relationship. I'll jump in. I think relationships are everything. Um, We, a lot of us come to religion and we think we're just, it's just about me and God. But then you read like the book of James and the entire book of James is saying, stop saying it's about you and God. If you're completely ignoring the fact that it's about you and your neighbor as well. And then we have that famous story of Jesus where somebody tries to pin him down and say, tell me, narrow down who my neighbor is. And and the story culminates in, well, your neighbor is whoever it is that's been exploited by the awful systems that you live in. And look, there was this unlikely hero who ended up practicing neighborliness. Now, all that to say, like, this can be so freaking overwhelming. Where, Where do I start? you know, with practicing right relationships and undoing oppressive dehumanizing systems, which, and because I think broadly that's our, 
that's our call in this world. Um, and so I don't have a complete answer to that other than maybe I can give some kind of like pastoral permission to you to say like, start with one area, just like find one area where you feel like maybe you can do some learning, acquire some knowledge and begin to begin to start practicing right relationships in this one area. Maybe it is food. And so maybe you get to know, like you say, I just want to learn where my food comes from. Um, I, I, I follow one Twitter account uh, for the United Farm Workers um, and they are daily posting videos of like where our food comes from and what it, what it requires, the amount of human labor it requires. Um, on our, I'll, I'll shut up after this and let others speak. On, on our California trip a couple of years ago, I remember passing all of the fields and for the first time in my life, just like seeing the amount of human labor uh, most likely this was migrant labor of these people literally running all day long, trying to stuff boxes with, with produce. And that's how it eventually makes its way to HEB or, or beginning to think about in this globalized world we live in, maybe I have wheat that came from Asia instead of somewhere in Europe or Africa, because it costs one cent less because maybe they were treating their workers that much worse um, so just begin to maybe think about where does my food come from? That could be, that could be one, one area. Maybe, yeah. Thanks, Matt. I think it's um, a lot is coming to mind and I hope I can be well-spoken here, but um, I do agree that it's a really overwhelming topic. And so rather than, I, I think it's easy to just be so overwhelmed by everything that you don't do anything. Um, and Part of the problem, I think, is that the church in general has not been a part of the conversation in a really significant way, which is why I think it is so important that we talk about the post-church church's role in this, um, because at the end of the day, you know, as overwhelming as things are, whether it's about right relationship, whether it's about deconstruction, whether it's about anything that may overwhelm you, justice work. Um, it's, it's less overwhelming when you do it in community. And I just think that it is, I don't know what the answer is, but I think in a response is that the church engages it regularly and consistently. Um, and I, I think back to when we did the book study several years ago with, um, Laudato Si, the, what does that actually mean? I can't, oh, and care for the, for our common home, um, by Pope Francis, um, and we did this study and I think I just had this realization of what if the church stopped compartmentalizing and like actually engaged this as a part of the church's role, what power the church universal, universal has to help equip people to know how to make small movements that add up to bigger changes. Um, and then just on a personal note, I think about your sermon, Matt, in, on enemies from this series and how you said, what would just movement like, like, was it 1%? What was the percentage? <laughs> I can't remember. But like, yeah. what moved in this direction, 1%, what would that look like? And um, whenever I was reading that book, it's a really small book, and I might have an extra copy if you're interested, but um, he said something that really changed my life. And this was in 2017. He said, 
anytime we throw away food, we're stealing from the poor. And it just hit me in a way that like, I still like get emotional thinking about because it, it just hit me in this way that made me realize I don't want to be throwing away food. I hate throwing away food and I throw away food all the time. But um, one of the personal tiny goals that I made for myself was to try and figure out how to start composting, which felt very overwhelming for me, very overwhelming to me to think about that. But I eventually did start composting. And not only did, not only do I feel better about the fact that I'm throwing away food a lot less Um, but the, the act of actually putting it back into the earth is actually a spiritual practice as well for me. And so I just wanted to share a tiny example, because I know we're, we're having, this is like really heavy, heady discussions. And I think examples help about thinking about our own movements. I think one interesting, um, you mentioned how the church has largely overlooked and, you know, a lot of the theology has been what we, what I would consider in my like dualistic mindset, bad, <laughs> like I would say it's bad theology to say, well, the earth is going to burn. So screw it. And we don't need to take care of it or, you know, or, uh, the whole predestination thing. Well, they're not on God's list anyway. So there's no new, no, no sense in Christians trying to help these people who aren't predestined or whatever. So, so we've got all this like conditioning, but I, I'm, I get, I get so comforted and so inspired because when I go back to the actual words and teachings of the Christ, we can get like a really good example for how to, for, for how to manage this stuff. Like with Jesus, Jesus in the scriptures balances rest and work and Jesus in the scriptures emphasizes gentleness and meekness. What gentleness and meekness. I'm sorry. What? It's so crazy. So how can we like approach approach all of these questions with the spirit of gentleness and meekness and of like, well, I don't know everything, and maybe I'm gonna let, um, maybe I'm gonna allow the these these other people or these this land or these animals to be my teacher here. I start to think about that, and I get comforted because I actually think that Jesus has a lot to say about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I wanted to add that um, it's okay to take, to allow yourself an incremental approach. Um, We learn big theological terms like progressive sanctification, which means like over the course of my life, I am becoming more sanctified. Again, another stupid theological word that just means my life looks more like Jesus' life. And so just allowing yourself incrementalism is okay. 1% journeying, is okay. You're headed directionally toward God. Okay. And that even that's a dualism because God's already with you. You're not headed toward God, but in a, it's, a paradox. It's, it's this, yeah, it's a paradox. <laughs> it's a paradox. So incrementalism is okay. Be on the journey toward yeah. it. Yeah. I just can't say enough though, how if the church were to actually mobilize these small choices how they would collectively add up in a really significant way. Because I do think people need regular and consistent guidance and community support in, in how they and how we exist in the world. That's what the church really does. Um, whether people realize it or not, you don't have to be devout in your own spiritual practices to be shaped by the way that the church guides how you live. So anyway. I would last thing I would be remiss if I didn't mention this and I know we're trying to keep it 
local and practical, but I got to offer a global thought because that's what I do. Over the past 30 and 40 years, globalization has really exploded. We know that. And we have cheap consumer goods because of that. And we have a pretty clean nation because of that. But it's because we've outsourced to these impoverished countries all of our pollution. So all of the dirty manufacturing happens elsewhere. So we're not polluting our rivers and land. So, uh, but, but we know that's a false dualism, right? Land polluted anywhere belongs to, to all of us and, and impoverishes and harms all of us. But Pope Francis would say, especially those lower on the socioeconomic status spectrum. So as we consume, especially around the holidays coming up, keep in mind that there is a bigger cost that came with that, with that production. Oh, I wish we had more time to delve into this. I have questions, but <laughs> I feel like there's not space to ask them all. And I think it's all to say that in the post-church church, this is the kind of questions that we're wrestling with and that we're trying to move the needle on and that we're not trying, not trying to say, oh, well, we, it's, it's so our sole responsibility to fix this thing right now, or that we have some savior complex, but that we're trying to work in a more partnership based way in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because it goes back to Matthew saying the number one thing that matters is relationships. And then to expand that on what Fran is saying, relationships with people, relationships with earth, relationships with all creation. So what if we really lived like that? Like that was our number one value. Mm -hmm. Well, and I say, I say this a lot, but I didn't make it up. I got this from other spiritual teachers who are much wiser than I. And that is that the awareness is the medicine so often, so often just our consciousness of, of the world changes things, changes us. So, yes. And sometimes we fight that awareness. And I, I think that's why the post-church church is so valuable because it gives us the courage via community support to face the awareness because we are not alone. We're like, okay, I can do this. I'm not alone. I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so you yeah. have a hive mind sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Should we move into the next question or, uh, it's, it, it, all of these are going to feel like we barely tap the surface. Unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So basically, yeah, we each, the three of us each brought a question to the table this morning. So that was Fran's. And we found that they were all very connected. So I think the conversation is going to flow really nicely. Um, But to add to this conversation, my question, the church, universal church, I would say, struggles overall with understanding that justice work, this right relationship that Fran's talking about, which includes anything from care to anti-racism work to anything you could name that involves the work of heaven on earth. The church struggles with understanding that this work can't be separated from our faith work. Um, But the post-church church embraces this reality and tends to it. And so as we embody an integrated faith that doesn't compartmentalize all these things and separate it from our spiritual practices and our spiritual experiences, Um, How do we do this in a way that is sustainable and not bogged down by things like shame or guilt or compassion fatigue? What's the secret? (laughs) 
answers um, to these or responses to these welcome in the comments, by the way, because we're searching <laughs> all the time. Uh, <laughs> Matt's telling me, <laughs> he's telling me to go. Um, I have thoughts. I have, res I have responses, but not answers. Um, I think one is going back to what I was saying earlier about gentleness and meekness being our emphasis rather than saviorism, rather than a prescriptive type of practice or authority, this sort of beginner's mind as the Zen Buddhists would call it, which I think that the Christ echoed so many, so much in, in his sermons and teachings, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so, so we use as our, as our touchstones, compassion for the other and compassion for self. And we use as our touchstones, gentleness and meekness, which I take to mean that sort of beginner's mind of like, well, I don't have it all figured out and I don't have to have it all figured out. Um, and then uh, balancing awareness with rest. So those are just kind of some things that I start to think about as a beginning place to start. Yeah, um, I have I have thoughts as well. My first use the word shame, and I think that those who oppose us in this work do want us to feel a sense of shame. And so there's this narrative, broader narrative battle warfare going on where um, those who oppose us want to label anything we do as being a woke mob or as virtue signaling. Um, so like there's this whole effort to discredit any legitimate anti-racism work as just cancel culture. And so you like all of these terms, they become dog whistles. And really the intent is to shame us into not doing good, meaningful, engaged work. And we need to be aware that they're creating straw men, right? Which are just caricatures of our work and our intent and our purpose so that it can easily, so that they, so that it can be dismissed. Um, so we, we have to engage that, all of that thoughtfully and just be aware that there's this like meta level warfare going on. Um, secondly, I think of, I think of that famous quote and I've read it often in this community and it says the Talmud states do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief do justly now love mercy now walk humbly now you are not obligated to complete the work but neither are you free to abandon it it's this tension right we're not obligated to fix everything we're not free to abandon attending to it in some way. Um, so I kind of go back to my, my answer with the first question, find your area where you can engage the work, whatever your area is, and get ready to do like a deep dive, become, if you can, some kind of expert, like on that one area. Like I've, I've been trying to understand economic injustice and the beast that that is for years now. And I finally feel like I'm, I'm starting to be able to speak to it 
this didn't take a weekend. Like I've, I've been investing into this one area and understanding systems and all of how they, how they intersect and all that. So um, dive deep. Those are some of my preliminary thoughts. I'm wondering what you, what you think. Yeah. Well, um, I want to just acknowledge um, that there, while we come to this conversation with different identities, like, you know, you may be queer, you may be indigenous, you may be black, you may be white, you may be brown, you know, you may be a woman or a man or, or somewhere in between or beyond. We all have various identities when we come to this and that shapes how we look at it, how we engage the work. But there is zero scenario, just in my opinion, where you should be um, in a place of shame. And I believe that you can engage this work without the, without the shame. And I think when you don't have the shame or guilt, it energizes you. And that helps um, just give you the extra energy you need because there will be compassion fatigue for anybody. And, and that's a reality we have to learn how to navigate as well. Um, and so the place that I, that I think is our starting point is always Imago day that we need to ground ourselves in the truth of who we are. You need to know who you are. And I don't know how else to tell a person to, to do that and believe in that and embody that, but then to say, keep up with your own spiritual practices, whatever they look like, because those spiritual practices should be reminding you of who you are every day, that you were made in the image of God, that God's spirit lives in you that God loves you, that you are beloved, that you were called to this work and it's not easy and it's, it's complicated and it's nuanced, but that, you know, when the, the parts of it that might elicit some shame or guilt come up, you can reject those. You can do the work without those. And I don't really know <laughs> if that was related to any of this, but that's just what came up for me. I totally agree about that. And I mean, I think you were preaching just then <laughs> just say that. Um, and, and I, and I would also say, I'll just add that, you know, I look, I preached a whole sermon about faith. Was that last week? Yes, it was, <laughs> it was last week. <laughs> and so it's still on my mind. And, and when, when it comes to doing, doing justice work. Okay. I like to call it commonwealth of heaven because then we're all sharing in the commonwealth. <laughs> um, I just, I, I need faith to do that. And I need some, I need this core understanding or belief, or at least, you know, uh, 80% confidence that the commonwealth of heaven is something that's real and worth working for and that it can be achieved. And so for me, the, the simple element of having just, just some faith in goodness and in love and in the Imago Dei of every human being and in the Imago Dei, honestly, of creation itself, I need that for, for justice work to be sustainable for me that I'm not trying to say that's what's necessary for everyone else. But I, I do know that often I get a little bit off put sometimes by, um, some sec just secular activism because it just doesn't resonate for me quite so hard. It, not, I'm not, I'm a denigrating that work. I think it's good work. 
I like it. I am grateful for it. But for me, I just take it another step in terms of this, this idea that Christ embodied that, that goodness is here and goodness is accessible and the, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is within you. So that's, that's part of what I need to keep going. Yes. Good stuff. And go back and listen to that sermon too. Cause I've heard, I mean, it, it's actually really helpful in this conversation, I think, which was last week's on faith. Thank you, Fran. Yeah. I think this is all, but all of these are ongoing conversations. We don't ever arrive. We just continue practicing and trying to figure it out together and inch by inch we're moving toward healing and um, wholeness, hopefully. Um, so anyway, I, I'm saying all that to try to transition us into what Matt has to say. And uh, I also want to acknowledge that this is like a really hard space to expand in. And there's some comments saying, can we do this in real life? And I think that's a great idea that we will explore to figure out how to actually have these conversations together. So thank you for that feedback. Um, but Matthew, would you like to share? Yeah. I, and I want to apologize. I'm having trouble keeping up with the Facebook comments because I'm trying to be engaged with you two. Like I just, I just can't, but they're, for, I try to jump over there and what I'm seeing is great. Love, great yeah. yeah. <laughs> So my question, um, Jesus said the kingdom of God, the commonwealth of heaven, is like a tiny seed that got planted, and it grew to become the largest of all garden plants, and then all these diverse, various birds of the air came and, and found a home in it, he said. And it, to me, it's a beautiful picture. And so my question is, how do we live toward that diversity in, in this community? given our unique passions and the unique sense of calling that we feel like we have to Wilco and to the state of Texas, this kind of beast that we live in, this belly of the beast that we're in here, how do we live toward that kind of diversity while holding our unique passions and calling? How do we avoid becoming homogeneous and monocultural and where there's almost just one permitted um, uh, perspective. Um, and instead we allow a diversity of faithful perspectives, not the kind of diversity that says like, we got to teach both sides of why slavery is okay. Right. Like not that kind of silly diversity that's being argued out in, in the mainstream media right now, as people are again, trying to discredit critical race theory and things like that, but a diversity of faithful perspectives. How do we allow all of that to simmer together? Um, I'll pause there. Just some, any thoughts on that? We'll let Aurelia go first. Oh man, I'm looking at it because I'm, I'm a visual person. How, well, I mean, I, oh, this is so hard for me because it's a question I have too. It's a hard um, question to answer. Um, I think that I want, to hear from people because I actually want practical answers here. I don't want to just be up in our heads like, you know, I want to actually figure out how we can live this out. But it is so tricky because we have to live in that non-dual space where there's not really prescriptions for this. We have to just be willing to constantly engage the conversation over and over and over again um, because there is so many um ways that it spans the spectrum of 
of how this becomes a problem. There's the theological paradigms that people hold. There's the identities, like I was just talking about, the intersections of people's identities. Um, and, and so there's, there's just so many ways that we could potentially struggle with be, like becoming homogenous because it's, it's honestly the easier way, right? It's easier to just, and also I think for us, this is a reason I think we can, we struggle with it probably in a lot of ways, but we also reject it in a lot of ways. And because of that, you know, we probably said a long time ago, we're never going to be a mega church because we're never going to put out like these really vast prescriptions. And that's how you really grow is by, (laughs) you grow when you put out those things, you grow grow by bossing people around. (laughs) tell people what to think and what to do and don't, and, 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 and you don't grow as quickly when you say, come into this fold, but it's going to be really complicated and nuanced. And we're going to have to constantly talk about things and revisit things and try again and roll up our sleeves and do the work together because it's not a hierarchical model. Um, so I don't know what the answer is. (laughs) I don't know what the answer is either. I have a lot of the similar comments of like, well, we have non-hierarchy, and we have non-authoritarianism going for us, which I think we're doing, you know, fairly well at. And we have this kind of non-prescriptive culture. And I think, I think the other side of that question is, oops, I just dropped my pencil. Um, the other side of the question is, okay, well, we have on this on this one hand this value for diversity and value for learning from people who are different than me. I have a value from for uh, hearing the stories and the hearts of people who whose lived experience has been vastly different from mine. And at the same time, like in terms of church, I don't want to force diversity for diversity's sake, if especially if that's going to make the person, you know, especially if that's going to make people have to come into something that they're not comfortable with. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, like if you love a certain type of music and I'm not able to provide that music for you because whatever, it's not my skill set, or I don't have, you know, I don't know how to play the congas or what, you know, what I don't want you to have to, I don't want to force you to come into my scenario where I play this kind of music that is, my heritage kind of music, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I just hold that really lightly at, of like, I hold it lightly. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Um, were you going to say something, Aurelia? I, I was going to end my thoughts on this with one question I voiced to you earlier in this before we went live. And I think for me, it comes down to what does it look like to truly be inclusive? And I think that question is very, very um, complicated and ongoing and that we don't, we don't, most churches and don't put enough thought into it. Um, and even if we do put enough thought into it, we might not always then live that out and embody it. Um, so I think that's just a question to hold um, close to us as we navigate, you know, uh, that, that your question, Matt, um, and seek to, to, 
to truly be open and generous um, while uh, living into the paradox of, you know, we, we're not going to let systems and harmful paradigms and ways of being off the hook. Um, so it's, it is a paradox and it's tricky, but I'm, I'm glad to have all of you <laughs> alongside me as I go into the thick of it and face, face those hard conversations and questions. Yeah, same here. And I think, um, my, my, my final brief thought is, is just that one of the privileges I have as a pastor in this community is I get, I get to see people, they, they kind of come to me more authentically than they will in the whole group setting. And, and over the past couple of years, as I've got to know some of you at a deeper level, it's fun for me to realize these are, now I think of a couple of different pairings and I think it's so fun that these people are in the same community together Um, (laughs) because man, they're, they're freaking different and they see the world differently. And I love that. It makes it so rich. Uh, and I, and, and I want to, I want to treasure that and honor that and foster that. And I hope we always have that. We're not a monoculture. There's not one kind of top down enforced perspective on, on, on much, maybe, maybe a couple of things we're very passionate about, but just the fact that some of these pairings I think of in my mind, wow, it's so cool that they exist in community together because you're not going to get that in a lot of the other world that is so now entrenched on the extremes. Uh, we can, we can hold that here. Ooh, I think it, it speaks to us sort of resisting an alternative fundamentalism. Yeah, it, I think it's a third way. I think it, it is mm-hmm. very tricky. And again, we have to bring in all these other questions about right relationship. We have to consider the realities of all our various identities and how, you know, saying what we like the language we use, the norms we use, it hits different depending on your identity. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to, you know, make the appropriate changes when necessary and just do the hard, the hard work. But thankfully, as Mr. Rogers would always say, we can do hard things and we will um, for the sake of our collective liberation in the kingdom of heaven on earth. Um, So there's so much to say, but we have to get off of this call because we have um, a a meeting right after and we hope you all will join us. So I hate to cut it short, but let's just say this, this whole series, the metamorphosis group this fall has been important to us and we're, we're learning what we need as a community. And we're, we're seeking to put those things out for, for the community to have access to. I just want to make sure you all know that.